Easter Sunday, so many expectations, right? Uh, how many of you got some wonderful things planned after service today? So everybody got some really cool stuff? I hope so, uh, with family. I do as well. What we are going to do is we're just going to get in to the scripture this morning, and we get this wonderful privilege to talk about, just focus 100% on the resurrection of Jesus. And I want us to do that together. So I want you to open your Bible, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What we normally do is we just take a passage of Scripture and we go through it um, and try to understand it as best we can. Uh, sometimes when you read the Bible, it doesn't make any sense. Has anybody ever had that experience? You read the Bible and you're like, I have no idea what it's saying. Well, no matter how long you live, you're going to have that experience. The Bible is filled with spiritual information, and we need the help of the Holy Spirit to understand it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read the first 11 verses and then we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to help us understand what we're reading. And I believe that he answers those prayers. And uh, it's always incredible at the end of the service what some people get out of it. Uh, and it's so different from somebody else, because God knows what every person in this room needs. So if you'll listen to these verses and my meager attempt to explain what I think it's saying, uh, who knows what God may say into your heart this morning. So let's read these first 11 verses, um, then we're going to pray, and then we will dive in. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first, of, of, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to, to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you again this morning that you're with us. Lord, we need you this morning. We need your help. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things from your law. Lord, I pray that you would soften hearts and open ears. Lord, it's not something I can do. It doesn't matter how hard I try. Lord, it's, it's you and your grace. And Lord, we are asking that you would pour that out abundantly this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help me to speak and to be clear and concise Lord, we give you glory this morning, and we thank you that you are here with us as we study your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. So this morning in this passage of Scripture, there's several things I want to look at, but the, the very first thing that I want to talk about is the guy that's writing this book. So the epistles are just letters. They're just letters that typically are written by an apostle. They're written to a church in a city that they had been at or that they wanted to go to. And the letter is just intended to convey information. Now, God inspired these letters. God inspired these apostles to write. But it's still a letter. God did not do some weird puppet thing where he made their mouths move uh, and made their hands write. God inspired the apostles to write the Scripture. So the Scripture is the inerrant Word of God, but it is through the individual that wrote it. Meaning, you can tell when Paul wrote it, and you can tell when Peter wrote it, because they had totally different education and totally different backgrounds. You can tell when Luke wrote it, because he was a doctor. If you read the book of Acts, you can tell he was a doctor, because he lists all this stuff about the sailing journey they went on. It's really neat. You can tell that they're human individuals. This is an important thing to know, because God is not using any of us as puppets. And yet, as this passage of Scripture says, He is using us through His grace to accomplish His will. But the guy who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, let's, you may not know. And I, to me, does anybody like the biography channel or bio, biographies in general? I love learning about people's lives. So, the Apostle Paul is one of the most fascinating people to me in Scripture because his testimony or his story is really, really unique. He started out born in a really nice area, a place called Tarsus. It was second only to Athens in terms of education. Uh, if you grew up there, it's like growing up in a college town. Maybe Huntington is not the best example. Maybe, uh, maybe a place like Oxford uh, or Princeton Grew up in a college town, surrounded by education. He was a Roman citizen by birth, but he was also a Jew. So he had this wonderful best of both worlds life because he grew up and was educated in Tarsus as a Pharisee, and he was really smart. Really, really smart. You find in the book of Acts, he's quoting from Epicurean uh, Stoics, he's quoting from Cretans and prophets and people from all kinds of different backgrounds. So that means he was really well read, really understood what was going on in the world around him. Smart guy and a zealous smart guy. Very, very zealous for the law of God and the word of God. And so zealous, so intense, he, as a Pharisee, as a lawyer, as a teacher of the law, that he was willing not only to throw people in prison, but he was willing to oversee and give his stamp of approval to them dying because they believed in Jesus. His zeal for the law was intense. He had this crazy experience. He is on his way to Damascus to get rid of more Christians. And on his way to Damascus, he meets Jesus. He doesn't see Jesus, but the book of Acts describes the experience as 
a light comes out of heaven, hits him, knocks him off of his horse, and says, why are you persecuting me? To which he says, who are you, Lord? At least he recognized that whoever was talking to him and knocked him off the horse was bigger and stronger than he was. The answer is, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And from that point forward, his life is radically turned upside down. So picture with me, the guy that wrote this, he is on his way to throw Christians in prison and meets Jesus. He's got a reputation problem, though. Because if you're throwing Christians in prison and you're having them killed, then people, when you come back and say, hey, I'm a Christian now, their first reaction is not, well, welcome. Their first reaction is, run away. And that's what they did. But he eventually overcomes that. And he starts going out in the cities and countries, and he's preaching the gospel. The gospel is the good news. It's the message that we're here celebrating this morning, that Jesus was crucified for our sin, and that on the third day, God raised him from the dead. He ran into some trouble because people challenged his authority, and you're hearing that in this passage of Scripture because he is trying to go back to the beginning of what is most important. In the church at Corinth, which is one of the most messed up churches ever, if you read all of the book of Corinthians, you find out these people were, I mean, they are more screwed up than we are. And that is really, really saying something. So they, these people were messy people. And they had lots of problems. And one of their problems was people that claimed to be Christians that didn't believe in the resurrection or said it had already happened or various things that they were doing and saying that was against the message Paul had brought. So with that in mind, just that's going to be important for this this morning. I want us to get in and look at verse 1 of what we've read. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. He, he gave us four things there. The very first thing he says is he wants to remind them of the gospel. And the gospel means what? Does everybody know what it means? Good, it means good news. It means a good message. And he's saying, I want to remind you of this good message that I preached to you. So he's saying something else. You guys remember, I'm the one that preached it, right? I'm, I'm the one that you heard this from. I preached it to you, and not only did you hear it, but you received it. So, so what he's trying to say is, is, you believed it. I came, I preached this good news. Jesus died for your sin, was raised from the dead, and by having faith in what he did, not faith in yourself, but faith in what he did, you stand and you are saved. That's what he's saying in verse 2. And by which you are being saved. Then he throws a curveball. Everybody loves the curveballs that come. When he says, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless 
you believed in vain. So why is he, why is he saying this? He's saying this because if you scooch over to verse 12, you can see it says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? The problem that was happening in this church was there were people saying, this isn't true. The question, the question I always want to ask is, then why were they a part of the church if they didn't believe what the church said that they believed? Well, oddly enough, this is an issue that goes on and on and on and on. Human beings have this incredible ability to make idols. Now, if I went to your houses, none of you probably have a golden calf on the mantelpiece that you bow down and worship. And if you do, I'd love to talk to you after the service, just because then I could say that I had talked to somebody that did have that. But, and then we could talk about why that's not the right thing to do. But most of you don't, when you think of an idol and you think of especially the Old Testament description where they built things on high places and they worshiped or they sacrificed uh, to various gods in different ways and there was all kinds of weird stuff. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's just, that is ancient history. Nobody does that today. Yes, we do. The way that we do idol worship today in particular, and the most subtle and dangerous kind, is we fashion God in our image. This is the God that I wish Him to be. I heard a great illustration from a preacher, so all my illustrations that are good come from other preachers, so this is one of those. So here's, here's a great illustration. He said, if I were to give you a brand new Mercedes SUV, the, the new one that's like $130,000, not that I've ever paid attention to that or I'm aware exactly of the sticker price, but it's about $130,000. And if, if somebody gave you the keys to that new Mercedes uh, SUV and you said, that is fantastic and it's free, totally free, you just have to accept the keys and you say, okay, and you take that set of keys and I'm walking you out to the parking lot where we have it. We, we don't have one here, so... Uh, but. Just an example. And as you're walking out, you see a totally different vehicle that you like better. What would happen if you tried to get into the other vehicle with the keys that I gave you? Well, one, it would be silly. But two, it wouldn't work. It, it wouldn't work because it's, it's, not, it's not the key that was designed for the vehicle the, the, the keys that you've got go to a vehicle. But if you decide that you like something better, you can't just take those same keys to go into that vehicle. It's only going to work in the vehicle that you use it in. What, what we do with God as humans is we say, I see this really nice thing that you're describing, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And I also see this thing about holding fast to the word that was preached. And I see this weird statement, unless you believed in vain. Well, I don't like that. I would rather have, um, I'd rather have a Jesus that's a little more like what I want him to be. In other words, we will find a way to make God in our own image and make him the way we want him to be. 
which is the exact opposite of the way that this works. I talked about a car, and now there's a horn out there. It's the Mercedes. Perfect illustration. We timed that on purpose. If we try to make God what we want him to be, we are guilty of creating an idol. It's not a golden calf, but it's our own image of who God is. And what Paul is doing here, he's trying to say, let me remind you of the basics. Let me remind you of the gospel message that I preached initially, that you received, that you believed in. I want to remind you of that old-time religion that you believed in. That's what I want to remind you of. It's, it's Easter. Of course it's going to happen, right? So go to verse 3. When you get to verse 3, what starts happening is the Apostle Paul is going into the specifics of what he preached at the very beginning. And I want you to notice uh, the way that he does it. Nobody is ever going to forget this Easter Sunday. If you're visiting with us, I want you to know that this happens every single week. No, it doesn't. Should we, should we just wait until the, the festival lights are over? Yeah, they, they certainly were. That is exactly right. Do we know who it was, who it is? We got to figure it out. Okay. Did you, get, you just want me to start over? No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. You know, a couple of years ago, that really bothered me. Yeah. It's all right. All right, everybody, let's pay attention. Verse three. <laughs> so, what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to remind them of what he preached to them initially. And I it is really interesting the way he starts verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So what he's telling them is that the most important thing that I ever said to you is this. Christ died for our sins in accordance with with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now, if you're not a Christian, or when Paul told this to the people at Corinth, they were most certainly not a Christian, and they were uh, not even Jewish, some of them were, to say that it's in accordance with the scriptures is like saying, who cares? I don't believe in that. I was watching, uh, forgive me in advance, I was watching Joe Rogan and listening. To, everybody knows who Joe Rogan is, right? He's only got 50 gazillion followers. So I was watching Joe Rogan talk about the Bible, and every time he talks about the Bible, I just think, oh my gosh, you, you like know absolutely nothing. Uh, here's one of the way. Here's one of the ways I know that it's Easter is when you go to the History Channel 
or the Discovery Channel or the Learning Channel or any other channels are, are they're just totally filled with shows right now about who was Jesus really? How many of you know what I'm talking about? You see those shows. And every one of them, isn't it interesting that every one of them comes at it from the same angle? Well, this is what Christians say, but this is what the guy who believes an alien says. Or this is what the guy who doesn't believe says. And it's always from that angle as if they're trying to uncover some kind of truth. It's, it's interesting that the Apostle Paul, who came from this Jewish background not believing, comes in and says, I delivered to you a message that has an authority, and he assumes the authority. The authority is the Scripture. The Old Testament Scripture that a lot of these people wouldn't have believed, but when he preached it, and the message of the Gospel goes out, there's something unique. The message itself has the power of God in it. And it is filled with something that is truth. It's true. And because it's true, it hits hearts like a sledgehammer. So he says, I told you guys when I first came, what the most important thing, Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. But he doesn't stop there in terms of his proof. Then he says in verse 5, and, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and to the twelve. So he's talking about the disciples. He shows up to Peter. There are actual eyewitnesses to his resurrection. But he doesn't stop there. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep or they've passed away. This is the only place in Scripture that mentions the 500 brothers at one time. We don't know exactly when it happened, other than it was a part of the early church, and what they described is there are eyewitnesses who saw the risen Christ, who saw Jesus after the crucifixion. He was raised from the dead. You may not know this, but he spent 40 days on the earth after his resurrection, in communication with his disciples, and doing stuff like verse 6, showing up in front of people who believed. So there were eyewitnesses. Now why is this important? Because it's easy for us to look back into 2,000 years and say, well, good grief, that's 2,000 years ago. How do we know? Because the people he wrote to at Corinth, it was about 25 or 30 years ago when he wrote this. And he says, he appeared to more than 500 at one time, most of whom are still alive. That's like saying that I went to the Belleville Dam in 1989. Anybody know where the Belleville Dam is? I grew up in Parkersburg. There's, there's legendary catfish at the bottom of the Belleville Dam. There's actually pictures up there of people in the 1800s supposedly being eaten by the catfish which I think is totally true, uh, so at least I hope so. But I do know that people have caught, that's just because I like the stories, not because somebody got eight. Okay, I want to make that clear. Um, but people catch monster catfish up there. If somebody was fishing and caught 
a 400-pound catfish, that would probably make the news. That would probably make a lot. But if, if, if it was just a guy hanging out at Hardee's at 6 a.m., drinking coffee, and remembering back in the 80s when this guy caught a 400-pound catfish, you guys know that Hardee's, the old guys that hang out, right? That's one of the things I'll be doing with my life. So um, you would be tempted to say, that's not true. But if he says, listen, there were 50 people there. Now, some of them have died, but there's still about 30 of those guys still alive. I could take you to every one of them, and they would vouch for the story. We just didn't have cell phones to take pictures of it. It was huge. We pulled it up in the boat, and it went back in. We, that, but we all saw it. When you risk a story to be verified, it has a ring of truth to it. And here, he is letting the people at Corinth know, because remember the problem here is there's people saying there's no resurrection. So he's telling them he appeared to Peter, he appeared to the disciples, and then 500 brothers at once. Most of those people are still alive. Then he appeared to James, verse 7, which was his half-brother. That would have been an interesting experience because we know that, that his brother didn't believe in him initially. That's another sermon. Then he appeared to all the apostles. Verse 8 brings us back to himself. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He's referencing that Damascus Road story. He's saying... I wasn't one of the 12. I wasn't one that followed him. I wasn't one who did any of that. I heard of him, but I wasn't one that followed Jesus. So for me, as one untimely born, I didn't deserve this. He appeared to me. And he calls him into the ministry. And look at how Paul views himself. I am the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I want you to put yourself in his shoes. How many families did he ruin by throwing dad in prison and those prisons were not like our prisons? Maybe people passed away. We know that Stephen was martyred and several others at his hand, Paul, responsible for the murder of Christians, is now called by God to be an apostle to that group of people. So his view of himself and his past would have been something that followed him everywhere he went. I don't know what you may or may not have done, but you can relate to a guy that has to look people in the eye as he travels around, some of whom he remembers their faces because he put their mom and dad in jail or because he's responsible for their uncle's death. And he's preaching to them the message of the truth. This is one of the things that God does over and over again. And the reason we celebrate 
the resurrection and the greatness of God is because of what he does with sinners. I think I said this last week, I'll say it again this week. I've heard so many times in my life, preacher, I'm not going to come to church because if I came, the walls would cave in or the roof would fall in. And I know what people are trying to say. They're trying to say, I'm really not that great of a person. I'm actually pretty pretty gross. I'm a, I'm a terrible human being. And, and here's, what's, here's what's amazing about the scripture. It agrees with you. You are pretty gross. You are a terrible human being. I know that's not the message you came to hear, but that is the message the Bible preaches. It says that there is none righteous, no, not one. It actually says that their tongues are filled with the poison of snakes. People, us, don't believe. The, the scripture is so clear that we are sinners. And that's why he started this by saying, I want to remind you of the very first most important message. Christ died for our sins. There is no reason for Jesus to die if we aren't terrible human beings. We're terrible the moment we're born. Now, how do I know this is true? I have four children. Now, I love my... They all just made a funny face. Okay. I love all of my kids. And when they're little... And there's lots of babies floating around in here. And, and they're so cute and innocent. But every parent's going to nod their head when I say this. How long does it take them to learn? No. Did, did you teach them to do that? Did any parent teach the child to say no? Or did it come natural? Now, I don't know if you've ever thought that through, but where does that come from? Rebellion against the mother who brought you into the world and nurtured you and loved you and cared for you and coos over you and watches over you and takes all, just all the... And as soon as they can figure out how to articulate it, the kid says, no. And then eventually they learn how to throw tantrums and manipulate. Kids are like demon-possessed little things when they're little. They're just, they, they, they know how to... Now, they're also sweet and adorable and precious and innocent. I'm not saying that they're not. They are. But my point is, is that we are flawed and broken. And it's easiest to see it in kids. Because as soon as they can, they already know how to rebel. And the original sin is rebellion. The original sin of Adam and Eve is, no, I don't want to do what you said. This looks better. We're born as sinners. We come into the world as sinners, and then, like a duck, duck, a duck quacks and a cat meows and a dog barks, humans sin. It is our nature. We are by nature children of wrath, Ephesians says. So you're born that way and then you act that way. And that's why he says the very first most important thing of this good news message is Christ died for Sinners. 
And then he, as he describes to them this resurrection that we're celebrating today, he says, he appeared to me and I'm the least because of the sins that I did. This is Paul's version of saying, the roof should have caved in on my head. That's, this is his version of saying that. But look at what he says in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now that, I could preach on that for three weeks. I'm not going to, but I could preach. That is an incredible statement. Grace is, is God's unearned favor, but it's also His empowering strength and might that comes towards us. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. You can't be good enough to, to get it from God. God's never going to look at you because you, you've helped 327 old ladies across the street. Therefore, you have now earned uh, five ounces of God's grace. That is not how grace works. Grace is you shoved an old lady in front of the car and I still love you. That is how grace works. Paul was persecuting Christians. Paul was murdering them, throwing them in prison. He knows that he doesn't have a right to be here. And yet he's there, not because of what he did. He was on his way to do more bad stuff. And God stopped him in his tracks by his grace. And he says, his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. He's referring back to those other apostles. But then he qualifies that statement and says, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. It's another sermon. But he's saying, I can't take any credit for who I am. I can't take any credit for where I am. I am here because of the grace of God. I do not know what you brought with you this morning. But the purpose of Easter and the celebration of it is to say, Jesus Christ died for sinners. And you and I are sinners. He was buried. And He was raised on the third day. When I used to hear this, He, he died for sinners. What does that really mean? It really means that He was the perfect substitute that looked at you and said, you are guilty. You have no right to stand before my Father in Heaven. But because of the great and wonderful love that He has, for you as a sinner, He, through His grace, says, I will go to the cross as a perfect sacrifice. He lived as a man for 33 years. Never committed a sin. God in the flesh. And on the cross, according to Isaiah 53, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. All of your sin was put on Christ. 
all of Paul's persecution of Christians, all of your sin, whatever it is, was put on Christ. And then the punishment, the wrath of God that was intended for sinners went to Jesus. That is why Paul says this is of first importance. The good news that I preach to you is that Jesus died for our sins and then he was buried and then he was raised on the third day. On that third day, he was raised, according to Romans, for our justification. So we get all of our sin forgiven. My prayer this morning would be that Verse 10 would be a verse that you can say for you, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Not by, I decided to be a good person. Not by, I decided to stop doing this thing and I decided to start going to church. Or I decided to start being better. Or I start, decided to stop. What, whatever it is. But instead that you would see that the most important thing in the gospel message is recognizing that Christ died for sinners, of which all of us are. And that by accepting what He did, by faith, receiving it the same way these Corinthians did, you too can be a believer that is born again, that is changed. And that happens by the grace of God. And His grace, according to the Apostle Paul, toward you will not be in vain. It's the greatest message in the world. That God is no longer counting your sin against you if you come to Christ. My message this morning is, believe this most foundational, important message that Jesus Christ was crucified for sinners, for the express purpose of forgiving sinners, so that He can take you from a sinner and give you a robe of righteousness that you did not earn and you did not deserve, but He gives it freely because He loves you. And He loves us enough to die for us. And this speaks to not how great we are, but how great He is. Because He's not waiting for you to get cleaned up. He's not waiting for you to quit doing something so that He can come to you. He comes to you so that you can quit doing that thing. It's a very simple message. Repent and believe this good news. Jesus died for your sins. I want to have everybody stand up. We're going to be dismissed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, we thank you that this first importance, this simple, profound truth that you died for sinners, that you were buried, that you were raised again on the third day, that this foundational element 
Lord, I pray it would sink in the hearts. I pray it would sink into our minds that it would be with us all week. Lord, that you are the author and finisher of our faith. And your grace towards us is not in vain. Lord, I pray that there would be receptive hearts. I pray, God, that we would hear something different in what was read in these scriptures. And Lord, that like the Apostle Paul, we would be able to say, it's not by what I did. It's by the grace of God. It's His favor and it's His love that changed me. Lord, we're desperate to have that. We can't have anything without Your grace and we thank You for it today. Lord, I pray everybody has a wonderful time with their family um, throughout the rest of this beautiful day together. It's in the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. If you're visiting with us, we'd love to see you again. There's a little connection card you can fill out and stick in this bucket back here by the sound booth. If, if you're a regular person, we were glad you're here too. Happy Easter, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your day.